there and welcome to the Little Yarrow podcast. My name is Kate. I'm a naturopath and postpartum doula here to share with you ancient wisdom for modern mothers. Hey Hannah, welcome to the Little Yarrow podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Um, I'm really- a, f- a few weeks ago, actually, I manifested to be asked on a podcast and then a couple of days later, you asked me. So oh, manifesting wow. works. <laughs> it does. Thank you. Oh, that's really cool. I'm really happy to hear that. I've um, been wanting to get you on here for a while because I really, really love um, your work and I've been following you for a while now. And um, yeah, Thank we've had you. some chats and everything and I just thought it would be especially, um, you know, for those that don't know, it's Birth Trauma Awareness Week. And I know that this is something that you often talk a lot about because of your unique um, background. So for those that don't mm-hmm. know, Hannah is um, a doula and a educator for all things, um, you know, pregnancy, birth and postpartum. So do you want to give a little bit of an um, introduction to yourself and your background and what you do to support women? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I guess, yeah, my journey in this line of work started um, quite a few years ago now when I began a midwifery degree. Um, I studied for about three years um, and was super, super close to finishing and decided that it was not for me to... um, work in the system and to kind of it just felt very very restricting and um like it wasn't about the women anymore it was about um guidelines and protocols and yeah kind of covering your own back instead of um what the women wanted and what each individual woman wanted and um yeah, so I've, I've definitely felt like while I was studying that I, if, if I was going to finish, I was going to end up in private work, um, in private midwifery, um, but the road to get there was very, very long and it would have required working in the system for I think it would have been like three or four years before you can actually go out on your own. Yeah. And by even, I hadn't even finished the degree and just the things I was seeing and witnessing, my mental health was not good. It was, I was not okay. So, um, yeah, I decided to stop and that I wasn't going to finish the degree, even though everyone told me I should and that I was almost there. Um, but yeah, I stopped, I, and became a doula instead. And I think it was a really, really great move because it's exactly the work I want to do. I love educating. I love informing people about their options and just talking about birth and breastfeeding and postpartum and um, really building relationships with women and their families and having that continuity. I find that's, um, that's what women want and that's what 
well, I found that that's what a lot of midwives wanted to do as well, but there's just not that option um, in the system really. Would you say that the reason why it's like that is just because like they're under the pump in hospitals and they just don't have enough, um, you know, they don't have enough beds and they're under a lot of pressure and so it's very much like I guess it like you know, production mm. line almost of women coming in, going, and they just, would you say yeah. what you experienced? Yes, definitely. The system is just not set up to support people in that way and give them in-depth um, appointments and to go over things thoroughly and make sure they're fully informed. It's just it's not set up that way and we do talk about how um, it's like a conveyor belt. You're just They just want to get you in and get you out and that's very much what it is like. Midwives are overrun and there's a lack of resources and, yeah, so. Um, is there a lack of midwives? Like is it um, a profession that? they need more midwives or? Yes. So when I started my degree, which would have been in 2015, um, I was very much under the impression that, like, there was a lot of midwives and it was a job was hard to come by. And mm-hmm. by the time I left in 2017, it um yeah, they were desperate for people. And I also found out towards kind of the end of my journey within midwifery that the lifetime of the average midwife is three years. So oh, they, wow. That is really interesting. And that to me, I was just like, oh, my God, like I'm doing yeah. all of this for three years, like, typically three years um it was it's really short and it like it from all the things I experienced I understand why people have to get out of there and can't do it anymore so 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 I I take it that it was while you were on placements that was where you were getting your experience and it made you realize that it wasn't for you so what kind of stuff were you experiencing um on your placement because I'm guessing when you first went in you were pretty excited to be you know hands-on kind of Mm -hmm. in the hospitals to see what it's like and then it sounds like you were quite surprised. Yeah definitely so it's not until you're in your second year of a midwifery degree that you go into a birth suite um, on placement Um, you follow a few women throughout their pregnancy and attend their births and stuff like that as like it's it is like a a continuity kind of program Um, and the births I had attended um, through that before I went on placement in birth suites very very different and I can't and I remember those births so clearly and how amazing they were and I I like I definitely think that's what kept me there for so long is because I I did I I was very lucky to see 
this amazing side of birth quite early on and that's what made me fall in love with birth and that's why I stayed um, for so long. But when I did enter birth suites on placements, um, it was just, it was intervention heavy, like incredible, like it was just birth, it was birth after birth that was um, incredibly um, medicalized, um, lots of um, instrumental births, lots of epidurals, forceps, episiotomies, um, and lots of traumatized parents that couldn't believe that their birth had come to yeah. that and didn't expect so it the at stats all. Are, they're um, estimating one in three women experience birth trauma. Would you say from your experience that that's what you saw? Oh, absolutely. That is like a huge statistic. That's a lot of women experiencing yeah. birth trauma and absolutely that's, yeah. I mean, when I was actually on placements, I don't think there was, uh, I, yeah, <laughs> it was a lot of um, traumatic births and a lot of parents yeah. in shock and partners in shock and just yeah um so yeah it's it's really really sad and I think there's a lot of talk this year I'm noticing around um birth trauma awareness week and how it actually should be redefined as obstetric yeah, violence I've seen that as awareness well. and um yeah because yeah. I mean there's so many different types of birth trauma I guess sometimes things can just unfortunately go wrong like even with home birth if someone has to have an emergency transfer they could consider that traumatic or if you know there's so many different ways that it can mm -hmm. play out but it seems like an overwhelming amount of women that feel like they had a traumatic birth was actually because of obstetric violence. Definitely and like birth trauma is how a woman perceives her birth and how she felt throughout her birth and labour and how she was treated. And there's a lot of coercion and there's a lot of bullying and there's a lot of non-consent and things happening to women's bodies that they didn't um, give consent for and... Um, yeah, a lot like it's not being heard and not feeling seen as well. Is this a lot I to think do that with, plays a huge with role. Just the simple fact that it's a ticking time, like it's the conveyor belt that they just need to get people moving. And so using like, um, you know, instrumental births and using like epidurals and, um, you know, Pitocin and everything to speed things up, that's all part of just, like, get them in and get them out, even if that means having to intervene mm -hmm. and, um, you know, bully, bully patients into getting them to follow your schedule. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And that's that's what I see a lot of in um, hospital births. It's that start of 
the cascade of interventions and just kind of entering a hospital is can be the start of that because labour is known to stall when you go into hospital because it's it's not an environment that is particularly conducive to physiological birth. It's not set up to support that kind of thing. So, yeah, lab- labour can stall when you come in and there's a lot of things that begin the cascade of interventions like um, CTG monitoring, um, ugh, all sorts of things. It's the duration, how long labour has been going for. Um, yeah, I mean, it's there's a lot of things that start that. It's um, ep- ep- women um, choosing epidurals that can start it. It's, yeah, there's there's many ways that kind of cascade of things start and then it it birth often ends in um kind of frantic emergency kind of situation so it's like well um you know birth has been going on for this long your baby's stressing out now let's put the ctg machine on um even though it is quite normal for babies heart rates to start to slow down at the end of labor because you know maybe the waters have broken or um you know that that uterus is contracting down a lot and yeah that it is part of the normal process but and then it turns into the fetal scalp electrode which is the um little screw that goes onto baby's so is head it actually because and... uh, i've read about this before is it actually like a screw that they put in like to the baby's head but like does yes. it cause so, bleeding and damage piercing through the skin wow. yes so it is um a little screw like there there are pictures of it and it is um like a twirled around bit of wire essentially oh. so they do screw it into the baby's head and it's often masked with it's just a clip that sits on baby's head that's what you kind of I remember being told to say that to women to say it's just a clip that sits on the baby's head um but it does it it pierces the skin it goes through um you know that top layer um and yeah um that's is just another thing that women are kind of attached to throughout yeah. their birth, um, which decreases their movement and their ability to move around. And again, healthcare professionals are kind of watching that. They're kind of watching the baby of like that heart rate a lot instead of being present with the woman as well. Um, so yeah it's, yeah and it's, often I guess the pressure as well for yeah. women like once they go over their due dates that's usually where it all kind of seems to begin as well with the pressure to be induced and then you know when they're induced then it causes more intense contractions and so then they need you know they want to have epidural for pain relief but then the epidural then affects you know the sen- the pushing sensation because they can't feel the pushing and then that oh, then yeah. means that they need to have like forceps or vacuum and then if that doesn't work then cesarean like I see that so many times 
that particular formula with mm-hmm. um, clients of mine who have had, um, you know, just that cascade of in- intervention. Is that what you commonly saw? Mm-hmm. Definitely. That the due date thing is a huge, a huge um, reason for induction, even though it is not that is like medically if everything else is okay just being over your due date that isn't a reason to induce um but also just the pressure that that puts on birthing people it's it's incredible how much they can they can be their mindset is amazing and they're so calm and then they hit this date and they're like where why isn't it happening what's wrong something's wrong and it just like the pressure that is put on them is it's really intense and um yeah there's it just starts with that kind of fear I think um from healthcare professionals which is it's amazing it's just crazy how fearful people who work in birth are of birth and it's because they don't see normal birth. I actually had with, so with my first son, I had him at um, a birth centre, probably the Mercy Birth Centre in Melbourne, which um, it had closed. I don't know if it had closed down, but it had changed by the time I had my second son like it wasn't really an option anymore and so I just went um to a hospital (laughs) I don't know if I'm I should or am I allowed to mention names but like I went to the Royal Women's because that was my closest and I was in like a midwifery um like a continuity continuity of care kind of group so you have like a team um where the Mm -hmm. goal is that you see a different midwife um throughout the pregnancy and then hopefully you'll get one of them at the birth which usually seems to not happen from what I've heard in my experience um but I did have my own mm-hmm. private midwives come as well both times um but yeah with the second time around the midwife who I had on staff um she pretty much just kind of Oh, are you there? I think you've just oh, dropped out. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, yeah, she said at the end, this is the hospital midwife, she said, thank you for allowing me to witness a natural birth. And I remember thinking that is a really strange mm. thing to say. Like why would you even say that? Surely you see it. Isn't that your job like all day, mm. every day? So it really was like, mm. yeah, it really shocked me to hear her say that. Yeah, so you might like there's um no birth centers in Victoria. Not that I'm aware of anymore. No. There's yeah, there's not. So you must have like just got in um with yeah. your first. Yeah. Um that was great also, though. That was really like amazing, the birth center. It's such a shame that it's not running anymore. 
Oh, it's, I mean, going into that is just a whole nother podcast in itself. But, yeah, it's it's such a shame that women in Victoria don't have yeah. that option. Um, but, yeah, just going back to what you said about um, the midwife's comment, I remember being on placement and um, in the birth suite and a midwife said, she hadn't seen a normal natural physiological birth for four months and she had yeah and yeah so yeah i'm sure your birth was Mm. incredible for that midwife because that's what that's what midwives want to see why they go into it in the first place yes absolutely and while there is totally um a space for um other kinds of births most women do go into birth hoping to achieve a normal natural physiological birth and yeah it's and that's um what what midwives want to support but then they just like I was just seeing it that they were just kind of complying do they come desensitized to it as well after time that they just that they just accept that that's the way that it is and they can't really do anything about it yeah absolutely and because like a big reason why I left was because I felt like I couldn't change anything from within the system because it, it is while it is broken for for women and for us looking at it, it's actually working perfectly how it's set up. It is just getting women in, getting women out. And, um, yeah, it's – sorry, I forgot I forgot the point I was making. It's, it's hard to change um, the system from within the system. Yes. Yeah. I've, heard, yes. I've heard many women so go in do... with, like, birth plans and that they've just been laughed at, like, you know, what is this kind of thing? This is not the way Absolutely. it goes here. Absolutely. They're not they're not really looked at in my in my experience, even attending hospital births as a doula, they're not really looked at. I've had a midwife say to a client, um, well you've gone to the effort to write <laughs> this up, so I should yeah. have a look at it. Like because they know that like it's, it's probably not gonna go to plan. They have to, they'll just Yeah. And like oh, yeah. And they kind of rely on women I think a little bit to not be fully educated and informed and not to advocate for themselves so they um yeah there's kind of this mentality that you know midwives and doctors are always going to do what's in the woman's best interest but really they're they're going to do what what they've kind of always known and how they've kind of been raised in the system as well. And that's generally like, let's get this show on the road, let's get things happening, um, let's so get this baby What out is like the time thing. limit usually that they will put on a birth before they start um, putting pressure on you to, um, you know, for things to start moving along and wanting to intervene? Like what is the time frame? Mm. It is kind of hard to say because I do think it is dependent on the woman 
having contact with the hospital and going into the hospital. So you could be in labour um, for like a couple of days, you know, in that early kind of stages and go into the hospital after a couple of days and they'll still send you home just based on how dilated you are or but something like that. But you're still like on that. the clock even um, when you come in? Yes. Yeah. So I would say from when you have like contact with the hospital, it's maybe 24 okay. hours-ish and, you know, birth can go for yeah. days and that is normal. Um, but, again, a lot of birthing people aren't prepared for that and they don't expect that. And after, you know, a, a day or two of labour, they possibly think something is wrong and that it's not happening even though it is completely normal and then they step into the system and it's like, yeah, it's then it's it's on yeah. kind of thing. I remember with even at the birth centre actually they um, were quite like um, stressing out about like the clock when it came to the second stage, so like the pushing phase. And I remember this midwife just appeared out of nowhere who hadn't even been supporting me during the labour at all. And she's kind of come in and she's like, oh, if you don't like, get this baby out we'll have to transfer you and my private midwife was really annoyed at her and she's like it's only been like 20 minutes you know she's got and I can't remember what time Mm -hmm. she said I think she said technically I think according to policy an hour I'm not sure if that's correct yeah so I think like the actual pushing like when a woman begins to say she's feeling the urges to push it's like hours. Two yeah, hours. so after like 20 minutes, and, they were already like yeah. being on my case about it. And it's like, you know, just to have that pressure mm-hmm. on you is like, well, I'm doing my best. What can, you know, what can I do? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the thing um, with birthing in the hospital as well. Um, lots of people want a say in what's happening because they're around, they're there. So they want, their input and they want to say things to you and they it it totally disrupts Mm. the space and um so many care providers become involved often and often with the more interventions that begin to happen the more people come into the room and if and as you know we know um strangers entering the room and people you don't know and who you aren't familiar with and who you don't trust and feel safe around that's just going to stall labor I did notice that actually during the actual labor it's like there's no one really is there except maybe like see I I actually always thought um the midwife is with you the whole time I didn't realize that they're actually not and they kind of just come and go but because I had private midwives, I always did have someone um, with me. But then, like, mm. and the hospital midwives are kind of never to be seen, really. They just pop in and out. And then at the end, it was like all of a sudden, like a whole room full of people. And it's like, oh, who are you? Why are you all here now? Like, you know, here yep. for the final, you know, all the action, I guess. But yeah, um, yeah I had a friend, I remember a friend yeah. telling me, like, um, no, like when she had, um, 
her baby that, yeah, they don't really kind of are not really there supporting you emotionally through the birth. They're kind of just coming in to do like the routine checks and um, offer pain relief. And most of the time you are Mm. kind of on your own. Yeah, definitely. And it just, it goes down to again, how um, overworked midwives are because even in um, the late, the um, birthing suites, it's still, it's not, it's meant to be one on one to one, one midwife to one woman, but typically yeah. it's not. And sh- a midwife will still be going between rooms. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And it, it, it just goes to show that they don't really have the time yeah. to emotionally support women and to encourage them and to make them feel safe and to build up a relationship, which is so yeah. important. Um but instead they kind of have to go in and out and they might just check your obs and then leave. And and some people don't have partners um, that are very, like I've had friends that have said, oh, my partner's like not very helpful during labour, you know, and so even if you have your partner there, mm-hmm. they might not be very supportive and helpful because some partners can kind of freak out and yeah. they don't know what to do or they just, you know, and then some heart partners can be really great but, um yeah, it's just mm-hmm. a, it's just a shame. And so, like, with talking about like obstetric violence and, um, you know, doing things without consent. So, how does that usually work in terms of like instrumental births and episiotomies? Do they just do it without asking, or they just tell you this is what's happening, and then if they say no, then they'll kind of bully them into it. Yeah, so, I mean, I have attended births where it has, they have kind of been saying, this is what we have to do now and they're telling the woman as it's happening so she hasn't really got an option to decline. Um, So, yeah, like there's no conversation, like, you know, often it's not a conversation where they're saying, look, this is your, these are your options. You could do this, this, this or this now. Um, we'll give you a, a minute to think about it and have a chat with your team. It's often like, um, yeah, it's where that bullying and coercion comes in and they're saying we need to do this now um, and it's kind of like they don't, they don't have a, a time to say no or um what else can I what else could be an option at this point and that's where I see the role of a doula or kind of someone who's just informed like really informed about birth that their role is to say not to speak for the woman and to say no she doesn't want this but to turn it back to her and say this is happening now are you okay with it is this what you want? Um, would you like a minute to think about this before it yeah. happens kind of thing? So um, that's where the value of yeah, a doula can come into that space. Many, many of my clients that have experienced birth trauma, a lot of the time it's also to do with um, postpartum hemorrhage where they mm-hmm. felt that, you know, they were going to die and it was a very traumatic experience. Um, now a lot of this can mm-hmm. be tied in with um, intervention and management of the third um, stage, delivering the placenta. Can you talk a bit more about about this? Mm-hmm. 
Yes. So the third stage of labour is um, one of those things that I find women aren't um, informed about typically if they're just going to their hospital appointments. There's no time for a, a in-depth conversation around this. And um, so often at the last minute they're asked, is it okay if we give you this injection? It's just going to help the placenta come along and they've got their new baby in their arms and they've just gone through this experience and they generally yeah. just say yes, sure, whatever has to happen yeah. kind of thing. Just get it over and done um, with. But what, yeah, and yeah, so there, there is the physiological stage, uh, sorry, physiological management of the third stage or active management of the third stage. And active management is what is common practice and that includes the syntocinone injection um, into the thigh, which is synthetic oxytocin, um, and it often involves, involves early cord clamping and controlled cord traction um, and what's also known as um, guarding the uterus. So basically it's, it's very hands-on where um, the midwife or the care provider will have kind of one hand guarding the woman's uterus at her pelvis kind of on the outside and then also um, ha- has hold of the placenta as well and is pulling it out essentially. Yeah. Um, and that can that can often um, in, um, lead to complications and more interventions and hemorrhage yeah. itself. Um, and then again, it, it it's also can that's um, symptometrin, which is what's used in Australia in that injection, which is used to kind of um, create contractions in the uterus again to shrink it back down to pre-pregnancy size um that syntometrin interferes with um breast milk secretion and production as well um which then goes on to interfere with the breastfeeding kind of process and um yeah, so it's it's no wonder lots of women have um, anxiety and depression and that kind of thing uh, and trauma after their birth experience when they, uh, like Mother Nature has created a process for them to have all of this oxytocin produced naturally um, but they don't have that kind of option um, so then the physiological third stage is when we wait for the separation, which again, that comes down to like um, impatient healthcare providers and also people needing the room. So waiting for one to two hours for the placenta to be born um, can cause a lot of huff yeah. in healthcare yeah. providers. Um and but that is a completely hands off yeah. approach. Um, so there's no pulling on the um, on the cord. There's no hands on the woman's abdomen. It is maternal effort, um, and it's it's incredible because it's an amazing way. It's again like Mother Nature's way of keeping a mum and its baby 
together because the cord is still attached to the inside and the baby, its movements on the uterus and its if it's doing a breast crawl and if it's a latching onto the breast for the first time, um, that helps to create this huge oxytocin surge and to um, cause the uterus to start to shrink down. So, um, yeah, it's, it's if we give people that chance to have a physiological um, third stage, there's so many, so many benefits um, and babies receive adrenaline through the cord while it's still attached and um, it means that they're wide-eyed and alert and they're eager to feed and, um, yeah, so it, it increases the chances of that first breastfeed initiation and improves breastfeeding throughout um, that yeah. journey. So, so with, um, um, <clears throat> you know, we've spoken about a lot of things about how, you know, just the situ- the hospital setting and the system and how it's how it's set up and how it's not very favorable for women it's more favorable for you know the people that work within the hospital and getting things moving so how can someone navigate it because for some people you know having a private midwife or a doula or having a home birth or um, accessing a birth center may not be possible due to circumstances finances um, location and stuff like that so what would your advice be to Mm -hmm. someone um, going into the system to give birth particularly at this time like due to COVID and all that kind of stuff where it's a bit of a frightening time Mm -hmm. to be giving birth what what would you suggest in terms of navigating the system so that you don't you know end up having a traumatic experience yeah, I think like you know, I I what I really want to say is um you know, continuity of care is is absolutely the gold standard of midwifery care and um improves the chances of having a you know, really powerful experience instead of a traumatic experience and you know, doulas are a, a great tool and resource um, that should be used and I want people to invest in those things and prioritise those things so much. But it is true that it is not always accessible to everyone. Um, so it's it's getting super, super informed and often one childbirth education class isn't going to cut it it's not going to be enough you kind of need to go really deep into the emotional side of things and the spiritual side of things not just the physiological side of things um and yeah I so power is knowledge is power so the more knowledge women and birthing people have the better and also their partners as well or their support people if they're bringing someone into their space to be their main support person they have to be complete just as informed in my opinion because they have to be the advocate often and um they have to like you know when i'm working with a client and their partner 
that partner, you know, I kind of guide them and coach them in pregnancy to speak for their birthing partner and so that she doesn't have to leave that kind of um, mental space that she's that you get into when you're in the throes of labour. Um, so speaking for your partner is so important and being an advocate for your partner, I think. So it's not just the birthing people that need to be informed, it is their support yeah. people as well. And, again, that that comes down to why it is so beneficial to have your private midwives present or to have your doula present and someone who is very knowledgeable about birth Um, because if you're not, then it allows you to be taken advantage of. Whereas if you know, um, you know, the potential challenges you might face and how to navigate them, then you're more likely to be able to avoid, avoid those situations. Yeah, definitely. And even think like, for an example, like delayed cord clamping, like when someone is knowledgeable and knows exactly what that woman wants, they can bring it to the attention of the woman that maybe it's happening when she stated that she didn't want it to happen, um, that kind of thing. And it, it goes for a lot of things that can yeah. can happen in the birth space. Okay. Um, thank you so much. You're a wealth of knowledge and experience. Um, can you, so Hannah has a really awesome Instagram page and I love everything you post on there because it's so informative. Can you just share what your Instagram handle is for people to go and check out your, um, really awesome content over there? Yeah. So it's just Hannah Godding underscore doula. Um, yeah, so, and you can just go to my website as well. And I have, um, a a kind of a PDF that you can download that, um, shows all the different ways that we can work together. And a lot of it is about informing you and, um, making you confident to be your own advocate and for your partner to be your advocate. So as, so to finish things up, um, really it's all about, um, educating yourself and getting that confidence and empower, feeling empowered and having that support team that also are confident and know what you what kind of birth you want and are um, set on helping you to achieve that um, so that you can, mm-hmm. you know, Absolutely. If, you, if you are going into the system and you have the best chance of making, making it a positive uh, experience. Totally. That's yeah. exactly right. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Hannah. Um, it was really great to chat with you. And thank you yeah, for such having an important me. Topic. So uh, it's really nice to have a chat with you about um, what kind of challenges people might face and ha- how to kind of navigate them and prepare. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome to great. chat. I'll pop with your you. um, Instagram handle. I think in the description as well just so it's easy for people to to find you as well great all right cool. see you Hannah. thank Have you nice night. see you you too kate thanks